I'm Kim, and welcome to Esoteric's podcast, You Can't Eat the Sunshine, for the week of November 10th, 2014. Join us this week as we head south to Orange County, where we'll talk with Cynthia Ward about the pleasures and challenges she's experienced as a trustee of the historic Anaheim Cemetery. We'll also visit with archivist Angel Diaz to learn about her work with the California's Gold Exhibit and Hulhauser Archive at Chapman University. So stay tuned. Los Angeles. El Pueblo. Lotus Land. The City of Angels. The Day of the Locust. The Slide Area. Where all the fruits and nuts ended up when they turned the country on its ear. But you and I were born here. Don't mind a few oddballs in the mix. They add flavor. Growing up in Cheviot Hills, my compass pointed straight to Fifth and Main. As a kid in Hollywood, I was forbidden to take the bus to the Central Library. But I did it anyway. Because you've got to start at the center to understand this confounding and fantastic city. Which makes nonsense of history and breaks all the rules. Rainer Banham said that. He taught us well. In the 1980s at UC Santa Cruz, now on our tours and in our time travel blogs, we're continuing the conversation. Raymond Chandler's Los Angeles and Charles Bukowski's The Birth of Noir, Route 66, The Lowdown on Downtown, The Real Black Dahlia. Positive public space, endangered landmarks, forgotten lore, memory maps, mysteries, murder, the allocation of resources, the hidden forces that shape public policy, Skid Row, Bunker Hill, preservation, restoration, redevelopment, it's a four-letter word, Los Angeles, you can't eat the sunshine, but you can drive around and take a long, hard look, and listen to the stories, and pass them on. Why are we doing this again? Because we love the place with a passion that goes beyond sense or reason. So did Rainer Banham. So we did. Now let's begin. You can't eat the sunshine, but you can make a beeline for the best of the coastline. La 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 la. Skid Row, Solano Canyon, Midoriya, and Pico Union, the long lost neighborhood called Hermina between Welcome, everyone. Thank you for listening to our podcast, You Can't Eat the Sunshine, for the week of November 10th, 2014. This week, our guest will be Cynthia Ward. She is a trustee at Anaheim Cemetery, a cemetery which opened in 1866, and she's also a member of the Anaheim Historical Society. She'll be discussing challenges and uh, challenges facing the stewardship of this wonderful institution. We'll also be talking with Angel Diaz. She's archivist at California Gold Exhibit and Hulhauser Archive at Chapman University. And I think we'll let that stand on its own till we can dig into that further. And now, Kim, the Pishka Maven, the, the Pishka Pitch. 
<laughs> I'll pitch. We have a digital tip jar. It's associated with this podcast, and we're not part of one of those big podcast networks where, you know, we're like asking 20,000 people to support us. That's the thing now, you know, Richard. I know you don't keep your your ear to the ground on podcasting, but if you get 20,000, some big corporation will like make a matching donation. Nah, just, just if you love the show and you'd like to be supportive, you can give us some money for burritos and gas, and we'd be grateful for it. It's never obligatory. It's always appreciated. We're grateful for your support. Thank you, Kim. That was I, I didn't I didn't know that about podcast networks. I didn't know that. Hmm. 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 Okay. Watch trains. Closely watch trains. Kim, I, I I'm so happy to announce this watch train. Marco Ramirez has been put in charge of the shoe shine concession at Union Station. That's right. Marco Ramirez, the shoeshine guy in the men's locker room of the Los Angeles Athletic Club for the past 32 years, the nexus of all downtown goings-on, one of my favorite people in the world, someone who has invited us over to have his wife cook us a meal in their home in Boyle Heights. Really, someone who I just... He's one... He's now in charge of the shoeshine concession at Union Station. Mark Supervisor Mark Ridley Thomas and another favorite person of mine, Ken Pratt, Director of Operations for Union Station, reached out to the athletic club to make sure they weren't stepping on anyone's toes, but they said they really wanted Marco because they wanted to do it right, and they did. And it's perfect timing because, of course, the athletic club is now reinventing itself and fixing up the locker rooms. Not that we'd know, because we, we stepped away from the athletic club uh, a, after, year ago, a year ago after one too many uh, historical indignities in that building. But Marco is, is a living treasure, and now you don't have to be a member of the athletic club or, or go into a possibly closed men's locker room, which I never could, um, <laughs> to experience what he can do to your shoes. And how great is it that now there's a shoe shine stand? At Union Station, I, I really like this traditionalism that's coming back into the station, just the little pleasures of urban life. Of course, you should be able to get your shoes shined really well from a guy who knows everything at Union Station. And I did notice several several ladies were, were, had, had taken a seat and were getting their, their, their pumps shined. I'm going to put on my dirtiest shoes and we'll go visit Marco. Okay. Yeah. So great. It's just, it's just, yeah, it's, it, it makes me very happy. All right. Uh, other close, another, we have, we have four closely watched trains. Second, the second one, uh, just noting this in passing, um, this, when, when, the, the watch train section we're, we're sort of going to touch on great, great design relics of LA's immediate past being reconsidered as perhaps not being so great, uh, including an article, an interview with Lori Olin, who was the landscape architect who worked with Richard Legaretto, who was the principal, yes, Ricardo Legaretto, who was the principal designer architect for the 1994 Pershing Square remodel. And, And Lori Olin touches on something that I've been thinking a lot about immediately, in this long interview, which encompasses r- public space in general in America, 
he immediately puts on the table. Um, you know, it's funny. Um, he doesn't say it's funny. He says, but he says it's something that he notices with the lay public is that you use the term architect, and a lot of people, when you say architect, they think they're talking about someone who builds a building that has like, and the building has elements in it which harken back to other historical structures, and the 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 design of the building is this thing that the architect concerns themselves with and the history of of a nation, the history of a city is very much contained in this building. It's like, yeah, that's not what architects do anymore. They're more like landscape architects. They sit down and they say, well, how does this space, which is very much a function of a corporate identity, a corporate brand identity, how does this corporate brand identity integrate into the larger ecology of the immediate area? And that's... Um, that's something that I think needs to be said more because I, th I think people would be less interested in architecture at some level and, and be less likely to venerate them as gods, which is the last closely watched train, if, if they really, yeah. It's, it's cognitive dissonance, which is what the closely watched train section is all about. So, so it's, a nice, it's, a nice, it's a nice little interview, and, and Kim, I know you, you have something to add, to add. Oh, well, I just want to... Oh. He also admits that Pershing Square is a total failure. Which is, of course, ostensibly the point of us bringing this up, is that he says, yeah, it, it was just, it was total failure. I wish we could do it again another way. Yeah, but he wouldn't have been able to because the point was they were having a competition and then yeah. all of these powerful real estate figures just came in and swept out the whole notion of a competition in the community, <clears throat> having any involvement in deciding how the park would look because they wanted to keep the creeps out. And they managed to do a really great job of creating a super, super creepy space. So, of course, there's a lot going on now with the whole notion of Pershing Square. First, there was the task force. The task force last fall had some, had some meetings. Once they were announced and the whole notion of re-envisioning Pershing Square was being floated by CD14, we launched our petition to restore Pershing Square. It's had uh, over 1,600 signatures since, which is a really wonderful Terrific comments, a lot of support. The Los Angeles Times also came out in favor of the notion of, you know, restoring the John Parkinson Park. So, you know, a great deal of interest in this concept that, you know, maybe downtown is finally ready to just trust that human beings can interact in a park space without shooting up, killing each other, making campsites, what have you. So Pershing Square Task Force, the re-envisioning group, has disappeared. Now there's um, a new public-private partnership, which is an initiative of CD14. It's called Pershing Square Renew. That's what it's called. I know it's a little confusing with the branding because they were using the RE at the end of square to start the word renew. But I've, I think they've gotten comfortable with their branding now, and they're calling themselves Pershing Square Renew, not Pershing Square New. They're having a big shindig at the park once the ice rink goes in. 7.30 in the morning? No, this one's 5 to 8 in the evening on a weekday. Hmm. Um, and it's uh, November 20th. We made an event on the lava calendar, lavatransforms.org. You'll see it coming up. And uh, possibly it's just like a little celebration in the park, but they also want to get people's insights and feedback on what they'd like to see the space become. I'm waiting for the announcement of what was promised at the press conference in September, the design competition, because it'd be really interesting to see if a real design competition can actually be allowed to, to fly in downtown. If the, if the bids and, and the, the various you know, real estate-led groups and the big power struggle that always exists in downtown can just step back and let a... <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Jose Wizar said it. I got it on video. It will be a public vote that will decide what the new Pershing Square will be, assuming they can raise the money. So waiting to see, you know, how this design competition is going to fly, because we want to do what we can to submit John Parkinson's 1910 designs, which still exist and can obviously be adapted for the 21st century. So Pershing Square, it's, it's still compounding. We love it. Right, and and our methods of of promoting this are the same methods that that everyone else that likes to get stuff done at City Hall do, which is just talk to people of influence and 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 not notions of oh this is really good and I'm going to vote for it online. You know, this is like I mean this is this is hardball and and throwaway statements like it's going to be a public vote are amusing, but it's not how things get done. And we're going to really try and, and, and make an impact with the Parkinson design. We are. And, you know, I'll, I'll just mention, I, you know, I'm not upset about this, but, you know, we've never been asked to be part of any of these committees. They put together a new task force. Not Thank God. <laughs> right. But, you know, we are the people who mustered 1,600 community members to say we would like to see the park restored. So you'd think, you know, there's a decision being made not to include us. That's fine. We like being on the outside because we can be independent and we can be very, very quick on our feet. And we can say what we think. That's what we do. Just, you know, think it's worth noting that there's a very large group being put together to brainstorm about the future of Pershing Square, but we're not in that group. We've had many digressions on the true nature of power and the workflow of how things get done in City Hall. And one of them is everyone at the meeting is paid to be at the meeting. And this is just another, we're, we're not, we're going to keep moving on, but I think everyone understands that. So, so we have, we have two more watch trains and the last one is kind of, kind of a big one. So let's get onto it. Just this, just in passing. Kim, you sent me a notice. This is kind of I hope I hope this works out for the Al the Alameda Theater, nineteen thirty two Walker Ison Whittier Boulevard, just west of Garfield, um, just down the street from the Golden Gate, which Gloria Molina allowed to be decimated by turning into a CVS. Um, the Alameda Theater is for sale. Um, salient points around the Alameda. Uh, United Artists. So what happened is Walker and Ison, of course, got the commission in twenty nine to build what was then called the Texaco Building, which housed the United Artists Theater at Broadway, on Broadway at 9th. They didn't get the commission for the theater itself, but they brought in the theater designer. Um, the crash, and one of the testaments to Walker and Eisen's firm and its longevity was that they picked up the actual commissions for subsequent United Artists Theaters in Los Angeles County, and, and a, a good a good one still standing is the one on Pasad and, and on Colorado Boulevard in Pasadena, the, that United Artists Theater, and that that one they did. I think that was the first one they did, and then they did the Alameda, and I, I love Whittier Boulevard. I just I just love it, and and I hope that I hope. I hope everyone's watching and does the right thing with this great theater. You know, they're asking quite a lot of money, and when I saw what they were asking, I just thought, you know, th these are really great retail spaces. Someone's probably just going to buy it and use it. Yeah. I, I don't really think anyone's going to knock it down. You don't see that happening on Whittier Boulevard. You have these one- and two-story buildings yeah. that are really solid and, and are always thriving and full. I'm sorry that that wonderful little thrift store district went away. Yeah. There used to be a yeah. lot of terrific thrift stores out there. I still... I'm still using this fantastic mid-century desk that I got at the Goodwill there for 20 bucks. But hey, 
You know what? Whittier Boulevard is still alive. I love that street too. Um, there used you, there, there there used to be little cafes on Whittier Boulevard, little American style cafes that were just so great, and they're gone now. To Lupe's on Eighth is I think Lupe on Eighth. Yeah, that that's. That's a re- yeah, but that's a remnant of of cafes that used to exist on Whittier Boulevard when I was younger. Honey, we need to go eat at more counters. Yeah, let's eat at a counter this week, okay? Lupe's Eighth, Eighth, just next to the post office, just nor just east of Soto. Yeah. Okay, um, Kim, I think that this is um, this this last watch train is is yours. I will set this up. We we mentioned the notion of architect is God, architect is. Not of designer of buildings, but as creator of environments. Um, LACMA has had a, a major donor, uh, Jerry per- Perinchio. Yeah, Jerry Perinchio, who's a uh, former big agent, uh, was one of the guys that that, that bought Univision, Gonstermacher from way back. Um, I think I remember. He was involved in the Battle of the Sexes tennis, tennis tournament with Billie Jean King and Bobby Riggs, which I remember growing up was like a really big deal. Yeah, I, I, this is like one of like my first memories of television is like this um, man versus woman tennis match that that he was the mastermind of. So, what I remember, like you, what, what's I, you you remember early television? You taught yourself to read so you could read the TV guide. Yeah, but I was into sitcoms. Okay, well, I wasn't necessarily in tennis, but I remember this being, like, like all of my mother's friends were, like, you know, they were really excited because, like, they wanted Billie Jean King to kick this guy's ass. Green Acres, The Monsters, you know, I was into surrealist sitcom. But, but okay. hey, I hear you. I believe you. That's not really what we're talking about, though. You want me to talk about what's going on at the L.A. Yeah. County Museum of Art. Talk about behind-the-scenes stuff. Okay, so suddenly, boom, 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 the uh, supervisors... Say yes, we will give 125 million dollars towards this 600 million dollar building campaign, demolition campaign too, for the LA County Museum of Art to knock down the Pereira campus. Which is why this isn't just my topic, Richard. You're you're the Pereira guy in the house. Oh, am I the Pereira guy? <laughs> well, you've you've developed a bit of a passion for Pereira's mid-century architecture. But listen, everybody loves the vintage. Pereira campus at the LA County Museum of Art and the, and the museum has done everything they can to destroy it, to, destroy it, to block it <laughs> off to hide it, the, 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 the Art of the Americas building, the giant toilet wall that they put on, on Wilshire in the mid 80s, just such a shame but the bones are still good and it, it's still this wonderful pavilion style floating you know 1960s modernist space, which by the way is the subject of one of Ed Ruscha's best paintings it's in flames but they want to knock it down, and they want to knock it down in order... And, and they will. Yeah, we'll see. They want to knock it down, and they, they also want to truncate the May Company building, which they own next door for the Academy of Museum. Everyone at the corner of Wilshire and Fairfax who is in a position of power has lost their freaking mind, and all they want to do... Well, they want to build a bridge. They, yes, they want a bridge. Meanwhile, okay, this is all Michael Govan's fault. He's, like, in charge now, and instead of just saying, we have this amazing museum in the heart of the city that people come to that people walk to, that people bring their children to, that they love, they have a passion for it. We can get people in and out. They come in and they see the permanent collection. They come to the touring shows. They appreciate, oh, remember the film program? They screwed that up. They'll, they'll come to lectures, whatever. It's in a park. It's next to the tar pits. It's awesome and cool. No, let's close it. Let's knock it down. Paul Hogan Graver. 
Go ahead. Paul Hokengraber used to give really great talks there. That was that was the last I went to those. The LACMA talks that Paul Hokengraber organized under the LACMA Institute of Culture in the early aughts. Kurt Varnado spoke. Kurt Varnado spoke and prepared me while talking to him. Because Paul introduced me to him. I was prepared to become director of the Art Walk because Kurt Varnado said to me, he said to me, at some point, you're going to be in a position of power, and people are going to start sending you the craziest fucking emails you've ever read in your life Friday afternoon at 3.45 p.m. And it's not a coincidence, Richard. It's an attempt to destroy you. So just remember that. <laughs> and I love that in the early aughts, Farnado was telling you that. I used to have such a crush on him. He was like my... my Really, my curator crush. He's gone. He died like like six months after he gave that talk. Yeah, he was awesome. Um, Right. They they, they, they just want to do all this stuff. So now the idea is they've got Peter Zumthor, who, yeah, he's amazing. It would be great to work with Peter Zumthor. Yes. But this notion of knocking everything down, Bridging Wilshire, which just makes my blood run cold, with this giant amoeba, which is obviously a just really poorly conceived echo of the tar pits. And thank God the people in charge of the tar pits spoke up and said, you're, you're about to render with all of this shadow that you're, you want to create this incredibly important fossil site unusable. So they had to back off and make some concessions. Um, okay, so cut to the chase. The idea is... If they can raise all the money that they need, including now $125 million from the county, which, tell me, it couldn't be used elsewhere better, then... Psychiatric detainment center. Detention, psychiatric detention, detention center, center. Or, or, or a hospital even. Then if they raise all of the money, um, Jerry, as you call him, Parencio, will give his $500 million art collection to the museum for installation in this new space. His $500 million collection, which consists of 47 works. Think of that, will you? 47 works. 47 works? 47 works. This this man has obviously always known how to buy. He says he's never gotten rid of everything, anything. He wants to give it to his home city. Well, we've heard that before. The L.A. County Museum has a history of cultivating relationships with wealthy collectors who write Armand Hammer, Eli Broad. They write these very, 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 very careful documents, memos of understanding, and they never give them anything. So now out comes the news of this $500 million, 47-work collection, and, you know, it's it's sub-getty. It's boring. It's blockbuster. It's stuff my grandma likes. I'm sorry. Okay, the Magritte is kind of cool. The Magritte is kind of provocative. I could write an art history paper on that if I wanted to write a boring art history paper. The Leger is not bad. Maybe you'll get your PhD. I'm not getting my PhD. You've got Monet water lilies and the, and, and the artist's garden. You have a portrait by Manet of a man no one cares about. You have Cezanne's house in a tree. You have a cafe singer by Degas. It is so unworthy of the city of Los Angeles to knock down a museum that people have a deep emotional attachment with to, and that functions, and that has already proved one of the most successful public places spaces in the city. Only, I, I can't think of... Uh, you, want, you want to talk? I, I mean, what, what else touches LACMA? Mocha? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, mo- mocha. <laughs> um, 
knock down this really lovely building in return for a bunch of stuff that no one cares about because it's worth a lot of money and it gets a lot of attention. And the idea is if he gives this, other big collectors will give too. And at the end of the day, what you've created is this really frenzied need to knock down, transform, build up, impress, show off. It's happening across the street at the Peterson Museum. Whether the L.A. County Museum actually raises these funds and builds this new structure or not, the Peterson is closing, getting rid of that really cool California in the Automobile exhibit on the ground floor, which is one of the, one of the greatest educational spaces in the city, in my opinion. Well, they're getting rid of that because they want to be new, hip, and architecturally relevant. And here's my plea to the L.A. County Museum of Art. When you fail to raise all this money, which you will, when you fail, because this is stupid, why don't you just, gee, I don't know, pay artists and musicians to use your spaces to entertain the community? Why don't you make a home for the Bob Baker Marionette Theater, which is about to be evicted and has entertained kids and adults in Los Angeles for 60-some years? Why don't you just use what you've got? Stop spending all this energy and money trying to knock everything down and start fresh and actually take advantage of the fact that you have the most incredible space in the best location and a lot of money and do something with it. It doesn't always have to be a blockbuster. That's my opinion, and I'm sticking with it. Thank you, Kim. Thank you very much. I think... um I think philanthropy in Los Angeles, and as is all in all major metropolitan cities in this country, is really geared towards exactly what Michael Govan is doing, though. And it's it's very, very sad. And it's one of the great uh, agents of change in our society. And and I wish, I wish Buffy Chandler were here to rebuke them. So we're going to move on. We're done with the watch trains. We're going to move on. We need to get into the interviews, so we have to talk about some upcoming events. I will... Remind everyone the reason they haven't noticed any announcements about upcoming Lava Sunday Salons is we are on hiatus. Uh, Linus de Figaro closed. Uh, I've had several emails to the management. Uh, after the uh, agreed-upon time, I would reach out to them, and I've heard nothing. So I assume ignoring my emails about are you going to open again in the new year mean they're not going to open again. So we're going to move on, and we're going to locate another space downtown. And obviously I've been working on this very hard, very hard, and, and we'll let everyone know very soon. Uh, I'm, hoping, I'm hoping to lock some stuff down. I was just waiting to confirm that my initial suspicions, which is Linus to figure out, is not going to reopen. So um, that's why there's nothing on the calendars. There's not a lot of, there's nothing on the calendars about the Lava Salons. We do have an event coming up, Kim. I'm, I'm really excited about it. We have an event coming up. What are you drawing there? You're drawing something. You're drawing... A nose. You're drawing a nose and an eye. And an eye. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's, I've been looking at all of this, you know, post-impressionism, this, this promised gift that L.A. County Art, Museum of Art is never going to get, and I've just been thinking about the simplicity of the modernists, and I, I forget it. You know, I, I learned to draw faces by... Um, looking at abstract expressionism. That's why my drawings are so weird. I love you. Um, we have an event coming up. We haven't had too many events. We've been very busy with the website, which I hope is the last time I talk about having rebuilt the website over the course of four months, uh, for another seven years. Um, but we have an event coming up uh, Sunday, December 7th, 
Kim, do you want to tell them about this event? We're pretty excited because it's in conjunction with our favorite bookshop, Larry Edmonds. Yeah, here we are back again working with the Larry Edmonds Bookshop on a special event. Uh, Barry Day, who is a scholar of many of the most fascinating minds of the 20th century. All you have to do is go and read his bio on the lava page, and you'll be like, wow, heavy hitter. Uh, he's got a wonderful yeah, new... I hope he likes us. <laughs> I hope we like him. He's got a wonderful new... I, I, I've been told not to call it an anthology. It's not. It's not an anthology, but it's a, it's a compilation of material that he has curated, written by Raymond Chandler, and it's Raymond Chandler, uh, the world of Raymond Chandler, in his own words. But it has interstitial material by Barry Day, and it's it's chapters on different aspects of Chandler's life and work and philosophy and passions. It's a really lovely book. It's coming out in November, and we're going to be doing the Los Angeles signing and presentation related to the book. It's going to be downtown behind the library at the library bar, and we're, it's free. Uh, sign-ups required because it's limited space. So um, Very Day will speak about his book a little bit. I'll answer some questions. We will have some special surprises. You can buy a copy, get it signed. Uh, you can even bring his Johnny Mercer book in if you're so inclined. You know who you are. And then we're going to do a wonderful little walking tour of Chandler's downtown, which, of course, we'll be right in the midst of. We'll, we'll head up Chandler Row on Olive Street to some of those Lady in the Lake locations and to the Dabney Oil Syndicate. And we'll end up over at the King Eddie Saloon on the edge of Skid Row and visit that wonderful, still intact, historic speakeasy that is in the process of being turned into a new bar, but it's still pretty much as found. And it's very much an echo of that corrupt, wonderful world that Chandler knew so well and wrote about in his fiction. So it's going to be a great day, and we'd love to see you there. Thank you, Kim. I will simply mention in passing that growing up, uh, the compilation from the, uh, from the late 70s, The World of Raymond Chandler, was a really important book for me. And I remember in 1988, Eight, going to see a screen of Robert Altman's The Long Goodbye at Melnitz Theatre in UCLA and sitting down and finding myself sitting next to Robert Altman, much to my complete delight. And he admitted that it was sad that Lee Brackett was not here, was not there, so he and I could sit on either side of her and tickle her throughout the entire film because she really loved writing the screenplay and he was so delighted to have her write it. And then he immediately got into the fact that he hadn't actually read her screenplay. He just liked working with her. And, and when he shot to prepare for the film, what he did was give everyone in the cast uh, a copy of this compilation, The World of Raymond Chandler, which at that time was my favorite compilation of Chandler works. And I was just so happy. I was like, oh, my God, that's my favorite. Oh, my God, that's my favorite Raymond Chandler compilation, too. And then when you say that, I'm, I'm just reminded of, you know, how – Film studios used to just buy lots and lots of books yeah. from, the, from the Hollywood bookshops. And, uh, yeah. yeah, it's a wonderful golden thread there. Yeah. Okay, um, so, that's, so we're, 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 done with, um, we're done with upcoming events. So we're, we're going we're to move on into the interviews. Um, yeah, what, what events have I forgotten? Well, you, you, you've got your birthday bus. It's kind of a special event. Oh, and yeah. I won't, I won't yeah, yeah. I want people to come and celebrate your birthday. You know, yeah. you don't have to be Richard's best friend to get on this bus. You know, if 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 you, your heart speaks to you and says, "I'd like to go see cemeteries with Richard and Nathan and Kim on on Richard's birthday," then you should get on the bus. You know, we'd love to have you. Okay, yeah, that's that's Saturday, 
uh, November 29th. It's a tour of Public Mausolea of Los Angeles and Orange County. It's a seven-hour tour, 10 a.m. departure from Daily Ghost, return at 5 p.m. Uh, Sunnyside, uh, properly known as Forest Lawn Long Beach. Uh, Sunnyside, which is an early 1920s uh, site, which is breathtakingly amazing. Nathan Marsak is our host and will take us through all these spaces. Sunnyside, uh, Fairhaven Cemetery, the mausoleum at Fairhaven, with the iconographic program from the Tennyson poem In Memoriam for their stained glass windows, uh, Anaheim Cemetery and its community, Public Mausoleum, and the uh, the board is opening up all the private mausolea at Anaheim for us, and they're really gems, these, these hidden gems of Beaux-Arts, uh, Orange County from the turn of the last century, and then we're going to Calvary in East Los Angeles, and uh, the, the, of course the, the mausoleum that Estelle Duchini built. So it's it's going to be a lot of fun, and you should get on that bus. Exactly. Good. Okay. So is that, is that okay, Kim? Lunch will be um, a, an Indian buffet. Yeah. Yeah. I got to call Sid back and and lock down that that price. Yeah. Exactly. Thanks. Okay, so we're going to move into the interview. So, so we're going to interview Cynthia and then Angel. So I'm going to introduce Angel first. Okay, Angel. Okay, I'm going to read this so I get it right because I don't want it because I, I, I want I want I don't want anyone at Chapman mad at me. Okay, so Angel is the archivist at California's Gold Exhibit and Hulhauser Archive at Chapman University. Okay, so now everyone at Chapman's happy because I've given the full proper title. It's great. So this means this is a collection of all of Hulhauser's stuff. And we're going to talk about this in the interviews. Uh, things you should know going into it. Uh, this is said a number of times in the interview. They're open Tuesday through Saturday, which means those of you who work during the week can easily make an appointment on a Saturday to go down and look at material. Uh, in the podcast, we get into material which is re- which requires reservation and we discuss at length in the inter- interview what material is just available for people just, just as they walk in. It's an amazing collection. Don't forget to get your AAA map. Okay, and this will become obvious. Kim, do you have anything to add to the... the, the I mean, this is, just, this is a great... Los Angeles, Hugh Hauser and I were just a few lockers away in the, the, the men's locker room at the Los Angeles Athletic Club. Um... Marco Marco introduced me to Hulhauser. Marco Ramirez introduced me to Hulhauser uh, early on in my membership at the Athletic Club. He said, Hul, this is Richard. I want you to meet him. Okay, he does very good work. And um, Hul said, I know. I know he does. It's nice. I, I like it when someone with uh, a collection, which honestly is probably more valuable yeah. Than this this painting collection that's been promised to the LA County oh, Museum yeah. in terms so, of, right. you know, when, when someone with a collection just you know quietly goes and does something that doesn't require buildings to be torn down. <laughs> I mean, I actually Huell was so modest he would be probably horrified and shocked to walk into that space and see, oh, yeah. oh my goodness, they've created this you know wall mural and a floor mural. You're walking across the map of California with all the locations that he where he filmed. Um, <laughs> you step on and you get to see them, and it's a beautiful little space. And and all he wanted, all Huel wanted, was for these videos, not just the shows, but the B-roll, which is so precious, to be preserved, protected, maintained, 
and made available for free in perpetuity. And that's what ended up happening. I think it's very, very cool. I, um, I'm not going to name names, but you and I can't have had enough meetings at archives. And you can just, it's, you know, it, it all made perfect sense once we were talking. And like, yeah, I can just see Huel at that meeting with that institution. Yeah. Yeah. The, and, and, and by this, I mean, Chapman was smart. They just did what he wanted immediately. They didn't tell him. So what, what most, what all the other institutions told Huel was, well, you, you accession your material to us, and then it's on our timeline. I mean, yes, of course, we agree with you that this is really important, but we can't make you any promises. I know that this is all the other – this is because that's what they say, because it's true. And Chapman said, no, you want these digitized and available? Done. That's, that's A1 priority, and that is happening, and you can, you know, you can check in every day and, and get updates on that. It's impressive. It should be inspiring for other people who are sitting on archives, especially of audiovisual material, or trying to think of what to do with it. Make it accessible. Find an institution that is on your wavelength and do it. And actually, I think the best thing Angel said throughout the entire interview is, she said this at the very end, she just mentioned in passing, so they were in such haste to get the shows digitized and online, which they did, that they said that they got another grant, and they said, you know, we really want to go back because we were in such a hurry we did not we did not digitize these at an archival level so we've made these available and they can be downloaded and they're at sizes that are are in, are sane for the level of people streaming but really now that we've been charged with this let's go back and let's digitize these these Betamax tapes at an archival level which I was just so happy to hear almost as happy as you were to see Huel's Betamax player sitting on <laughs> his mid-century desk as a display item that Angel told you is, is used frequently. Yeah. yeah, I'm looking for a Betamax machine, so if anyone has a Betamax machine they want to give us or make, make me a reasonable offer, I, give, give, shoot us an email. We'll, we'll, get, we'll give you our email at the end of the talk. Okay, um, so our first interview is with Cynthia, and we'll get into that now. So Cynthia, Cynthia Ward is a member of the Anaheim Historical Society. Uh, next Saturday, Saturday, November 15th, one week before my birthday bus tour, which will go to Anaheim Cemetery. On Saturday, November 15th, around 10 a.m., we're giving the website. The website will list the exact time. Cynthia is giving a tour of Anaheim Cemetery in proper 19th century regalia. Yes, she's going to put on her corset and her and, and her floor-length dress. She explained to me, if you don't put on the corset, forget it. None, none of those 19th century clothes look right. So you just got to go soup to nuts, as it were. And, and, you, and you've got to go soup to nuts before it's 95 degrees. So the, so the, tour, the tour is going to happen before noon. So uh, Cynthia is great. Um, she's giving this tour. We're going to put up the URL for that tour. It's free. You should, you should go. And then you'll be ready to get on the birthday bus and, and help show people around. So you can be your own little docent on my birthday bus. Um, the topic of the interview, though, is almost entirely her role as trustee, one of the trustees at the Anaheim Cemetery, uh, founded in 1866. And just she's just going to go through all, all, every, all, the, all the problems and challenges that, that a board with a, a sem <laughs> this is ancient cemetery is facing. And moving ahead, restoration, preservation, 
families that stop caring for Mausolea. This is all these great topics, and it's really interesting, and she's doing a great job, and it's a great interview. Kim, am I missing anything from you? Any, anything? You, you look like you wanted to say something. Oh, it's just the families that stop caring. It's usually because they've died out. It's not that people are, you know, sure. deliberately neglecting, but you know, that's California for you. 1866, how many of those people are still here? I'm, I'm thinking of the Mausolea private mausolea built about a hundred years ago that, that have all been abandoned. And that's just, that's in, I think that's interesting. But we'll get into all of that. And so let's take it away with my interview with Cynthia. Cynthia, Cynthia, I'm here with you. We're in Anaheim Cemetery, a very old cemetery. I want you to properly introduce yourself, the role you serve at this cemetery, and tell us about this great place. Okay. Well, my name is Cynthia Ward, and I am a lifelong resident of Anaheim. Uh, the cemetery is the oldest public cemetery in all of Orange County, founded back in 1866, first burial in 1867. I am a trustee on the Orange County Cemetery District's Board of Trustees. Uh, we're a special district that was formed within Orange County, so we are a government agency. We get a little bit of ta tax increment from your property taxes. And uh, the whole purpose for our district is because once upon a time it was unthinkable that you would pay perfect strangers to take care of grandma's grave. You just <laughs> didn't. Everybody came out and did that. It was part of your family, and you'd picnic and make a day of it. And, you know, over time families died out or moved away, and these graves ended up in disrepair. And uh, so we took it upon ourselves to, to form a government agency to be able to take care of those because we really felt like the benchmark for civilization is how we treat those who are helpless. The very young, the very old, those that have gone before us, these people can't speak for themselves anymore. And if we can't step up and take care of their graves, what kind of a community are we? So we really felt like that was, that was worth a little, you know, a few cents on the dollar for property tax to be able to, to take care of this important heritage site, and we're really proud of it. Okay, great. And just um, to pull people's sleeve, we're standing in front of the community mausoleum. Do you want to talk about that structure for a second? It's turning 100 years old today. It is. It is 100 years old this year, uh, built in 1914. The community mausoleum was the first public mausoleum on the entire West Coast. It's, it's enormous. It was built at a sum of $50,000 at the time, and that's about the equivalent of a million dollars in today's buying power. So, it, it, you know, it's not a small building. I wish people could see it on, you know, a podcast. But we'd like to invite them to come out and see it in person anyway. So. Perfect. And so um, before we I, – I want, I want to hear a little bit more about the history of this cemetery. You do tours, though. So can, I, I know you don't have an exact time set, but you do have a date and an approximate time, and we do have a, a page of where we put URL. So we're going to put the URL for your upcoming tour up. So why don't you talk in general about this tour, which is coming up on November 15th? It is November 15th. The Anaheim Historical Society is actually the host. The district itself doesn't do tours, but we cooperate with any of the historic groups that want to come out. So if anybody's interested, they can contact the district and we'll set something up. Um, I do that as a volunteer. It's not really something that we make our trustees do. We certainly don't make them dress up in Victorian costume, but I do that too. 
So on November 15th, we will be out here sometime in the morning. Otherwise, I melt if it's the afternoon. And we will be doing a historic tour with the Anaheim Historical Society. And I believe we'll be doing something to commemorate the 100-year birthday anniversary of our community mausoleum as well that day. Fantastic. So we've just had a really nice walkthrough with, with you of several of the, the private mausolea, which, which are not open to the public. But as a trustee, you are entrusted to care for these structures. Do you just want to briefly touch on some of the, the projects that the trustees have tackled with the, these private mausolea? Because they're, they're really beautiful and, and interesting preservation questions. Uh it is an interesting site because seeing family mausoleums is really unusual on the West Coast. It's more of an East Coast and European thing. Uh, so it is pretty unusual to see. We have four of them. They're all turn of the century. We don't have exact dates on all of them. Building permits aren't available, obviously. Yeah. But uh, they're beautiful structures. Uh, they were all owned by prominent families here in the community. And over the years, again, they fell into disrepair for the same reasons. And, you know, just time and neglect and nobody really maintaining them. So we had to go through quite the process to even be able to touch them because they aren't really our property. The grounds are ours, but the mausoleums themselves belonged to the families. So we had to establish that the families were no longer in the area so that we could legally do that and stabilize them and, and do enough preservation work to make sure that they're available for the next generation without necessarily gold plating anything because, it, you know, it's public funding and we want to be good stewards of that too and, and using public funds to do a full restoration on, on a, a private resource isn't always, you know, what taxpayers are looking for either. So we tried to find a, a good balance there. Let's um, just, we're throwing out things that you balance by uh, Department of the Interior, Section 106. We had to follow that very carefully. Uh, we are a county historic site. I would love to see us someday maybe make it on the state or national register. Uh, we'll have to talk to the board about writing that. I'm not writing that application for anything. But uh, so we did have to follow the Secretary of the Interior standards, you know, replacing in-kind materials. Whenever we had to replicate something, it was done as closely as possible with exact materials, leaving that little clue behind so that we're not trying to trick anybody into thinking that something is original that isn't, using marble that's just a little bit one-off so that you can tell it's different from the original. So we're not, you know, trying to, to put one over on anybody. You can Buildings are supposed to tell a story about how they've progressed over the years, and I think that we've done a very good job of doing that. Tell us um, one of your favorite stories around this cemetery. Take your, it's okay, okay. yeah. Just take, take, take a second. Don't, don't. I'll just trim this, don't worry. Okay. Family. Yeah. Okay. Just, just uh, a narrative that, that that always comes back to you. Whenever I've got a really big decision to make, I come out here and sit because the things that we think are so important when you're sitting at home on your couch just kind of drop away when you're sitting out here and you think, in a hundred years, is anybody? going to care whether I served on this committee or whether somebody didn't invite me to their party. You know, the things that we get so worked up about. And 
one of the areas of the cemetery where I will really gravitate to is uh, over on the other side. And I don't want to get into it or I'll start crying. But you can see the progression of this family. And they lost baby after baby after baby. And you see things like that. How can my petty little problems be anything in comparison to what these people went through over time? And it puts things into perspective. It's not really a cemetery story, but it tells you that these places still have value to us today. This isn't a place that should be forgotten or just locked up and, and we never come here again until the next family member's funeral. This is a place to be used, and I really hope that people will come out and, and use these grounds. And if it's sitting quietly and thinking about what's really important in life or just enjoying the day, like today is... I can't believe how perfect it is out here. Um, I hope that people will come out and use the grounds. Perfect. You did it. You did it. We're done. That was a fantastic interview. As we go, please again remind us you've got a tour November the, 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 before noon, probably 10 or 11. We'll get the details on the website with the URL, but just refresh our memory about the November 15 tour. So November 15th, uh, yeah, it will be sometime in the morning. We'll, we'll have the website information. And... It's just going to be a walking tour, so bring comfortable shoes, a big floppy hat. It gets very, very hot out here on the grass with all the moisture coming up from the sprinklers, and it gets very humid very quickly. Bring bottled water to drink and join us. I don't believe that there's a cost to it, um, but we would love to have everybody come out. Perfect. Cynthia, thank you again so much. Thank you for coming out. Hello, my name is Brian Kaiser. I'm here today at Greystone Manor in Beverly Hills, and you are listening to You Can't Eat the Sunshine. Angel, Angel, I'm here with you. We're at Chapman University. Or and I want you to tell us, first of all, I want you to introduce yourself, give us your title, and tell us where we are at Chapman University. Okay. My name is Angel Diaz, as you said, and I'm the California's Gold Archivist. Uh, we are in the Hewlhauser Archives and California's Gold Exhibit here in the library of Chapman University. Good. Okay. Let's, let's get down to brass tacks. Hewles, God rest his soul, was a genius. His archive is here. You're open to the public. You have an exhibit here, and there's archival material that requires appointments to look at. So why don't we start breaking things down into big buckets? First of all, people want to know if they can come when. and what. So just let's just start at the beginning. It's Saturday. It's 10 a.m. You wake up, and you, you, you get it together a little later than you'd like to, but you're, it's together. It's, it's 10 a.m., you want to come down here, what happens if you just want to come down here and look at the exhibit? Well, you can just come on down to Chapman, and you come on in, and we're open on Saturdays from 10 to 6. We're also open Tuesday through Friday, 9 to 5, and you just come on in. It's easy as that. Okay. So, okay. so let's walk on over. Let's walk, let's walk, let's walk through. So there's an exhibit. Yes. Okay. So you, you walk on in, and, there's a, and tell us as we're walking over here, this exhibit, you know, Huell was a very private man. Huell, when he made this arrangement, and we'll get to the accession arrangement, which okay. is a very interesting story, but this, this exhibit room we're standing in, which, which we're about to have you describe, this was not conceived of by Huell. 
just just out of the gate. Let's get that straight. Right. It was put together by the university with the help of the automobile club after he passed away, uh, and it was put together to honor his memory, to honor his legacy. And it, the exhibit includes a timeline of his career. It includes some memorabilia, which he collected and which uh, his fans gave to him. And we also have some furniture some, uh, from, his, from his office, from his personal office. Okay, so that's, that's what I'm interested in. So let's walk over here. Okay. okay, we're in front of the recreation of his office from his 29 Palms home. Right. So go, tell us about this. Well, uh, he loved mid-century furniture. And so as you can see, a lot of this is a, a nice brown mid-century. There's a desk that extends and some great... Um, there's a desk with a monitor and a little beta player. And these are all um, things that he had in his, in his home, in his office. And it also includes a lot, of, a lot of pieces of his found art collection, uh, which are mainly metal-based pieces, just random items that one would usually just pass by, but Huell saw them, thought they looked interesting, and kept them as decorative items in his homes. And, and I will mention, as you, if you choose to walk down the stairs to the basement where the archive is, which I recommend, you will pass a found art installation in the stairwell, which you may miss if you're not terribly observant, but my wife, who would make a good cop, immediately spotted it as soon as we started walking. Yes. Uh, our um, Chapman's gallery curator, Natalie, uh, she put together and organized all of the um, found art displayed out in the... Um, in the hallway and at the bottom of the stairwell. And there's a lot of great stuff, including a coffee table that he put together. It was just these metal pieces, and he put a uh, slab of glass on it, and it became a coffee table. I love it. All right, uh, let's, okay. So we, we, before we started talking, we got a, got a short list from you of your favorite items, and, and I think you're looking at one of your favorite items, which is in the exhibit. So let's walk over and why don't you explain to us what this is. Sure. This is a calendar from his office. It's a scheduling calendar. Basically, it's one of my favorite items because it really gives you a peek into the way that he worked. He was in charge of every single aspect of the production of a TV show and the broadcast of one of his shows. And on the calendar, you can see that it's each... Um, public access channel, or public public, yeah, public, public television station. <laughs> public television station is color-coded, and he would decide what episode would be played on what day based on time of year and what made more sense to be played on that day. And what's really interesting is that he would actually contact many of these people if it was going to be airing again, and he would let them know hey, it's going to be on, you know, just so you know, maybe you'll get more people. And I think that that personal touch was really what made Kuehlhauser special. <laughs> Perfect. Let's see, let's, before we move into archive material, which is not immediately accessible just on showing up, uh, do we have a Betamax on display? We do. We have let's, okay, let's, <laughs> yeah, let's, let's, that's right, right on the desk, right. right. So before we leave the, the, the 29 Palms office recreation, which I love. Let's talk about the Betamax machine. Yeah. So this is actually a mini DV player, uh, and it was given to us by Huel himself. And he gave us this player and the regular 
beta player, and it's been really helpful because the production materials are largely beta videotapes, and the best way for us to play them is to use the player he gave us. <laughs> so, yes, so ev everyone out there, if you have a, if you want to get rid of your Betamax machine, call me or call Angel, because we're, we're, we're both, we're, 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 we'll, we'll, we'll take them. We might even, we might even sweeten the pot just a teeny bit. Oh, we, we, okay. get, we're, Angel and I are both actively seeking Betamax players, so yeah. put that out there. All right, good. Um, I will note that Huel and I, in addition to um, having a locker in the same room, the Los Angeles Athletic Club, uh, share the same desk lamp, I'm happy to say, <laughs> as, I, as I look at his desk lamp. Um, Let's walk over to the desks, working tables inside, and we'll start to talk about the archived material, which, which you have to make an appointment to look at. Yes. So in addition to the exhibit, you have the reading room where people can come, public or Chapman community could come in and do research on his materials. We have created a website where you could watch uh, the full episodes, but if you were interested in looking at the paper materials of the collection or some of the raw footage, I'm happy to help set that up for you. Great. And let, let maybe um, before we delve into these wonderful photos, why don't we start to talk a little bit about the accession. Okay. So um, give us the narrative of, of, the, of the accession. So he'll come, yeah, just yeah. He, he, he's he, in 2010, I think, he's down, and he sort of mentions Chapman. The president calls him up and says, you really should come back. I think you'd like what you'd, you'd see. So let's take it from there. Exactly. He had uh, done an episode on the city of Orange. It's uh, a road trip was right. the series. And he kind of glossed over the university and, you know, really focused on Orange and some of the beautiful homes in the city of Orange. But our president of the university, uh, Jim Doty, said, hey, you missed us. We're great. We're awesome. Come back for a visit. Let me show you what we have here. And uh, it just so happened that he had been thinking about retirement and had been looking for a university to donate his production materials to. And he took uh, President Doty up on his offer, came for a visit, and these two really charismatic men got along really well, and he decided that he was going to, going to leave his, his production materials here. And over time, he, he's you know, the, the relationship deepened and he decided to give a little bit more. Um, I didn't mention earlier, but he established a um, scholarship for an undergraduate student and uh, he left his two of his homes, which that's how we got the furniture. <laughs> so it's been, it's been really great. We're, we're very fortunate here. Perfect. And just so every, because this is an interesting part of the collection, Everything, almost everything we've been talking about, with the exception of the Betamax players, <laughs> is, is almost a side effect of the accession. Because for, for Huell, the, the, the majority, the, 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 the real, the, the, the bar which the institution had to hit was. He wanted his, show, his, his shows, everything that he had created, to be made widely available for free to the public. So he asked that the tapes, the air tapes be digitized and be made available online. And uh, the university has worked very hard. And we've created a website where you can go on and see most of his shows online. Good. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now I think, thank you. Now I think we're ready mm -hmm. to start looking at the archive material, which is by appointment only. Yeah. 
And perhaps before we start looking at these photos, do you want to, again, quickly recap? Uh, there's obviously a finding aid, which, which we'll put a link to, mm -hmm. so people can get a complete sense of everything. Mm -hmm. But just throw out several, several different aspects of the archival collection that are, are routinely asked for that people might not be obvious to people that are listening. So one of the big things that is asked for is uh, actually people who, who Huell interviewed on um, his shows, often, you know, someone will say, oh, you know, my father was interviewed up in Eureka at this pizza place, and I'd really like to see, see that footage. Um, sometimes that person has passed away, and it's, um, it's a great memory for people. So that's what people usually request, or just maybe he visited someplace, and, you know, they need their memory to be jogged, and that's what I'm here for. <laughs> and so we have over 7,000 tapes, which in, are, you know, the air tapes and raw footage and B-roll. But we also have um, just about 200 linear feet of paper and photographic materials as well. All right. And so that's what we're going to talk about right now. You've got some... Okay. Let's just start going through these photos. And I'm going to ask you to start with the uh, show, f is this from Nashville, the rap time, or is that New York City? This is from Nashville. This is one of his first uh, jobs as a TV journalist. It's called Rap On, and he would have people and students from the community come in and just have conversations about what was going on during that time. And then he went on to have sort of a a bigger broadcast role on WSM, and he did, um, you know, nightly news and would do some of the same kind of stories that we he is known for today for example there was this family that had a pet pig we we please pull out the photo <laughs> so you can you can look at the this cute little little pig as you tell us about him and 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 he is wearing a, a birthday hat in in this in the photo you're showing us so this was a party for this family pig that lived inside the home and you know took part in a lot of the family routine, including breakfast, which, which sometimes included bacon, interestingly enough. So, uh, and this, this, this was one of, you know, the hits of, that Hugh had when he was in, in Nashville, and, you know, it would be a hit today. Yeah, this, and this is not a pot-bellied pygmy pig. This is a 400-pound pig. It's a big pig, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's taken up a lot of space. <laughs> Okay, and um, let's see, what what are just some other photos? Okay, yeah. So uh, he also would cover events at the Grand Ole Opry. Oh, the, uh, yeah, the, uh, yes, yes. Okay, the, with, we have to find the photo of the Grand Dame herself. Here he is with Aretha Franklin. And there's some other great photos here with... Um, uh, that's who I meant by the Grand Dame. <laughs> with John Ritter. And I think in the exhibit we have uh, Willie Nelson and Dolly Parton. And here he is with Burt Reynolds. Oh, that's, yeah. that, that, that's a great photo of Huel with Burt Reynolds. I like his little scarf that he's got tied around his neck. It's called, it's called an ascot. Excuse me. <laughs> an ascot. <laughs> and, you know, this is all great stuff. And, and his parents were so excited to see him on TV and in the news. And they would keep all of his clippings of any time it was, you know, he was printed up in the newspaper. They would keep them. And we also have a good amount of... of older press clippings. Fantastic. Uh, the map. So this, this was something that I, 
in, in, in a true Q moment, I was completely shocked and amazed when you brought this to my attention. So you're opening up a AAA map, I can tell from its, from its typography and design and color. This is a, a map you can just walk into a AAA mm -hmm. office and get and tell us about this. This is a special map. Yes, exactly. So AAA printed. Uh, oh, but AAA was the sponsor of the exhibit, as right? Well, yes, um, or the Automobile Club was the sponsor of the exhibit and then also sponsored the printing of this map of California that features some of the most interesting places that he visited. Um, doesn't have all of them, but it's a good start if you're planning a road trip, actually. And there's, uh, the places are marked by a poppy flower, and then on the back side you get a little more description yeah. of, of where he went. There's confusion. A, a, a legend of all the locations, yeah. That's right. So this, is, this has been the most popular map that AAA has printed. And people come in and they, they're able to get it at AAA offices or here at the exhibit. I have plenty of them. I'm going to make you repeat that. If people come down mm -hmm. to the archive, they can walk away with their own copy of the AAA Hulhauser map. Yeah, we're giving them away. Okay. Good. <laughs> All right. Um, let's, can we walk back into the protected area with the, with the footage sure. and talk about the Betamax machine? Yes. Okay, great. All right. So now we're, we're leaving the public area. Mm -hmm. This is everything we're about to talk about. This is the staff only room. But everything we're talking about, this is all archival material, which is appointment only. So let's let's walk over to this Betamax machine, which he donated to you. So so let's talk about this. Again, again, Angel and I are both looking for a Betamax machine. So if you've got one out there, let us know. You you can trust that we will take very good care of it because we will have it in use. <laughs> uh, so yeah, this is this plays uh, Betacam SP Digibeta tapes, which are most of what. Huel left for us. So again, if I ever need to look back at some raw footage or a tape, I have to use a beta player and it's we're very fortunate to have it because these are rare and expensive nowadays. <laughs> so mm -hmm. Okay, so we're in this room. This is a proper archive area. Mm -hmm. You've got um properly secured storage shelves yes. and it's climate controlled. So exactly. what w there's a lot of, of of production tape here. What are we looking at? Uh, this is a little more than 7,000 tapes, and it includes air or raw footage taken, you know, while they were sure. shooting an episode. A lot of B-roll footage. Uh, he will like to include some archival images or video if he could. And we also have edited masters and broadcast broadcast masters, which um, are still being used by KCET today. So, <laughs> fantastic. Um. Just, just so we can get this, I, this is a, was a question I asked you, so I'll repeat it so mm -hmm. you can answer it for everyone. So, are you going to digitize all of this raw footage? Most likely not. No. Uh, with every donation, there's usually some sort of stipulation about things, and uh, I think Huel just wanted us to focus on the full broadcast episodes. Perfect. No. Yeah, yeah. Which I, which I totally expect. Just However, in. they are open for research, yeah. so anyone can come in and see them here. But they won't be posted online anytime soon. Okay. So you get to use the the, the beta machine here. <laughs> um, have we? Okay. So, uh, let's wrap up by the bookshelf in back of you. Oh, yeah. yeah, because I, I, I just again in a pure Huel moment was totally taken aback when I when I realized that his book his his library is here. 
Yes, this is his personal library of about 1,500 books, all on some aspect of California, California history. Um, it is a great collection as a whole of different aspects of California. Um, it ranges from hiking uh, guides, you know, the history of the Torrance Airport, <laughs> how to find hot springs, um, very unique but also, you know, some books that, you know, are easy to find at, at your bookstore. But um, as, as, a, as a whole, this collection is really, it, as, as Hugh's library, mm -hmm. it's an impressive document. Yes, exactly. And it also helps us to look into sort of his process. You know, if he was interested in a place, he would buy a book. Or if he went to uh, a new town, he would purchase a book there. And then authors would often send him books, too. So a, lo a lot of these are signed which is um, which is pretty cool. Right, and so just as as we as we go into the home stretch here, so you can come down and you can here look at one of these books. Yes, yeah. they are available to read here. They are non-circulating because they're special. Yeah, because <laughs> they were heels, but anyone can read them. Okay, uh, let's let's take this on home. Tell us tell us your your favorite thing about this exhibit. That what 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 when every time you come across it or every time it comes up you're just like oh, yes I'm so glad I'm the archivist here. Well, I showed you the uh, photos from from his old days uh, working at Nash in Nashville at WSM TV. But I think what I'm really digging is that production files for every episode usually come with some photograph, and it's yeah. always with Huel and the person that he you know that he interviewed and both both parties in the photo look so happy and it's just it's it's so interesting to see just him go you know visit the top of the golden gate bridge that's really exciting but to visit just like your local pie shop that's also just as exciting so that's what i like about it <laughs> okay angel again uh, let's again for for the person on a saturday who's looking looking to do something fun tell us about getting here calling touching base with you in advance after perusing the, the finder's aid mm -hmm. about coming here and, and using this archive with, with, with Saturday in mind. Cause I think most people are, are only going to be able to get down here on Saturdays. Well, we are open Tuesday through Saturday, but on Saturday we're open 10 to six, always open to the public to view the exhibit. If you would like to do any sort of research, if you have a research question, you can contact me. You can email me at, um, M a Diaz D I A Z at chapman.edu or you can call and um, arrange a visit. If you would like to bring a large group, let me know as well, and we'll have it all ready for you. Angel, thank you so much. Thank you for visiting. This is Richard's mother, and I'm here at Whole Foods in Westwood, and you're listening to You Can't Eat the Sunshine. And remember to eat your vegetables. And we're done. I'd like to thank everyone for listening to our podcast, You Can't Eat the Sunshine, for the week of November 10th, 2014. Our guests this week were Cynthia Ward, a trustee of the Anaheim Cemetery, and Angel Diaz, archivist at California's Gold Exhibit and Hauser Archive at Chapman University. We like to hear from you. We like feedback. Kim, tell them how they can get into the feedback loop with us. It's so easy. 
Well, you can send us an email at youcan'teatthesunshine at gmail.com or through the contact link at www.esoteric.com. You can join us on an esoteric bus adventure. We have a few more before the year is out. Or come and see us at one of the lava events that either Richard or I are hosting. Or, indeed, the Crime Lab Seminar, which are officially hosted by Professor Don Johnson, but Richard and I are always there. You can also, of course, let your feelings be known on the iTunes page. And while we're figuring out the issues with our feed, our feed burner feed has gone catawampus, so it's a little harder to subscribe to the podcast than it ought to be. You may need to uh, keep up on the Esoteric Newsletter or the Lava newsletter, both of which always mention new podcasts, or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. But you can still rate the podcast, because we still have a podcast page, even while the feed is being figured out. Thank you, Kim. Okay, so we're in the home stretch here. Upcoming bus tours, one of which includes, uh, one of which is my birthday bus, November 29th. Indian buffet lunch in the middle. Brian Kaiser will be on the bus talking about Sunnyside and Rufus Keeler. Kim, home stretch, take it away. Yes, I will. Well, we have a crime lab seminar that we just added to the calendar, and I just want to mention it sure. now sure. because it's it's yeah. heartbreaking news. It's going to be uh, Sunday, January eighteenth, yeah. and it's with Ed Nordskog, the LASD arson investigator, and just one of the most colorful, compelling, fascinating, brilliant individuals in our world, and, and there's quite a lot of them there. So these Crime Lab seminars have been selling out, and I think this one's going to be that, quite... That makes you happy. Yeah, I, I, I'm very happy that these do so well. I think it's going to be quite a hot ticket, so um, put it on your calendar. That'll be January the 18th. We have a crime bus tour on November 22nd. It's our downtown double feature, Hotel Horrors and Main Street Vice. That's the one where we celebrate the dirty old city that just ain't there anymore. And all of the things that made Los Angeles so colorful, dangerous, and delightful. We'll go into some of the most beautiful turn-of-the-century, turn-of-the-last-century hotel spaces that survive. And we'll also go down into the basement speakeasy at the King Eddie Saloon. We'll talk about B-girls and, and, and taxi dancers and serial killers. and <sighs> You're going to love it. You should get on that bus. We've talked a little bit about Richard's once-a-year birthday bus adventure. That's November the 29th. It's the Public Mausolea Tour, co-hosted with America's wittiest mortuary historian, Nathan Marsak, who, by the way, brought us together, Richard, in the, the, the second half of our awareness of one another. And uh, I think... Brought us together by virtue of his first wife throwing him out of the house. Hey, the universe makes us laugh all the time while it's making us cry. It's going to be a really great day out. And those bus tours that we do for your birthday, Richard, they're, they're one-offs. If you don't get on that bus, it'll never happen again. You'll never have those people together doing those things. So if being an early adopter on something that can never be adopted appeals to you, get on the birthday bus. We're back in the crime bus mode for the remainder of December. We have Pasadena Confidential with Crimebo the Clown on December the 6th, the tour about crazy millionaires with inappropriate pets, black magicians who are practicing rocket science, would-be presidential assassins, rose queens, school shootings that might surprise you, etc., etc., etc. And it's a chance to get your holiday pictures taken with Crimebo the Clown. He'll be happy to do whatever you want him to do. And I mean whatever. 
And we're wrapping up our tour season for the year with Eastside Babylon, my most unhinged crime bus tour on December the 13th, heading out to Montebello, East L.A., Boyle Heights, and Commerce to talk about some of the god-awful things that people do to one another. Um, And, of course, to wander through Evergreen Cemetery, which is getting to be more and more green every time we visit. I'm happy to report. And we'll be... I, I, I don't want to talk about that. Uh, you're, you're mad about the side gate, I know. Mm-hmm. And we'll, we'll put on your walking shoes. We'll, we'll cross Evergreen. We're going to go and visit the Carney Graves. We're going to go to the site of the Night Stalker's Arrest and Beating by our ticked-off neighborhood of Eastsiders. And it's uh, going to be a great tour to wrap up the year. We've already mentioned the Free Raymond Chandler book signings, talk, and walking tour on December the 7th. That's on the Lava Calendar. Uh, getting into the new year, we are starting, as we always do, with The Real Black Dahlia, our most popular crime bus tour, and the January edition is the one that is more or less at the anniversary of Beth Short's kidnapping and murder. So it's a very profound and moving experience to be out in that that thin, cool air, that wintry light, talking about and walking in the footsteps of this this poor, doomed girl who became so well-known in death simply by virtue of being in the wrong place and so vulnerable. On the 17th of January, we'll be doing our Charles Bukowski tour, which is always a delightful gathering of people who have a passion for this great L.A. writer who completely reinvented himself in his 50s, uh, from drunk postal worker to internationally renowned poet and novelist. You mean like like me? Exactly. When are we going to get your postal pension, Richard? I'm going to have to call UC Santa Cruz about that. On uh, January 24th, it's the Raymond Chandler oh. bus. Oh, you, 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 you finally, you finally, yeah, you, you're, you're finally on board with that because they did the same thing to you. I've been, uh, <laughs> my first husband, I guess I should call him. Your old man. I never would call him that. Um, Steve Watson passed away and, and his... His partner, Martha, was kind enough to give me the letters that I had sent to him from the age of about 16 um, through our relationship. And, and sort of like a, a shadow journal that I, did. I didn't know I kept, all the things I told him. It turns out UC Santa Cruz also lost some of my graduate credits, and I, and, I, and I nearly didn't graduate. But I was on my way. Unlike you, Richard, you were out on the road working as a stonemason living in a truck. Brick mason. I wished I were working as a stonemason. I'm sorry, I think of you as a stonemason. Um, I was on my way to uh, graduate school to work with David Gephardt, so I had to do something about it, and I, I straightened up this mistake. You did not. So your art history degree, which you got at the same time as me, your undergraduate UC Santa Cruz art history degree, from this apparently incredibly screwed up department with people who were getting fired for, was it embezzlement? Yes. Embezzlement. Uh, that, that was Cowell College. My advisor is at Cowell College, and she was adv- she was fired. Well, I didn't have an advisor at Cowell College. I don't know how they screwed up my documents, but they screwed both of our documents up. And uh, you don't have your degree. You don't have your art history degree. So that's a roundabout way to say, hey, if anyone from UC Santa Cruz is listening and ha- has some pull, Richard actually did finish all his coursework, and it was like a writing credit that got pulled. The, the man can write. Can he please have his degree? Thank you. So Chandler Tour. January 24th, be a nice follow-up for people who might take that walking tour in December. And then in that same sort of spirit, and it's been a while since we've given this tour, and I know there's people listening who've been waiting for it, because I hear from you, The Birth of Noir, our James M. Cain tour at the end of January, the 31st, a tour about how the noir genre 
was basically filtered through one incredibly interesting East Coast dude's sensibility. A man man who was like an editor at The New Yorker, a guy who came out and looked at Malibu through the most jaundiced eyes you can imagine and wrote this wonderful piece. A man who, like me, loved lion farms um, and created what we know today as noir. So that is a lovely tour, and that brings us through January, and that's about all I have to say because... We have a pretty full calendar here. We do, we do. So, so there we go. Um, you know, if you don't, if you can't get on the bus, you can always just fly to New York City and see the play, Billy and Ray. Well, I don't know how long you can see the play. Uh, oh. <laughs> not getting the best notices, but the woman playing the secretary really does look exactly like her mom, Bette Midler. Wow. I know. I wish we'd seen Bette Midler's daughter, and and her dad's in the Kipper Kids. Um, Although I, I saw a couple of photos from the New York production, and honestly, I don't think um, a Paramount secretary would wear that type of novelty fabric into the office. It's a little too silly. I think the play, the play Billy and Ray, which opened at the, which premiered at the Falcon Theater in Burbank under the auspices of Gary Marshall, and it was taken off Broadway in New York by Gary Marshall, with a slightly different cast. I think this really shows the uh, giant gap and cognitive the, the cognitive dissonance that exists between New York and Los Angeles. I think this is this is one of these examples where you just say I can't really explain how everything going between New York and Los Angeles doesn't actually have any continuity. At some point, it has to like bridge this giant gap, and somehow in crossing this gap. Everything gets rearranged, and it, they mostly get rearranged in the wrong way. I can't explain how that happens, but this play is a good example of, of that problem, which is something I've been thinking about since I was 12. For me, you know, now that we're kind of farther away from having seen the play in Burbank, I just think someone should have slapped the guy, the writer. Chandler was not drunk while working on Double Indemnity, and if that's the whole hook of your story, that he's secretly drinking... Go back and read about Chandler. I mean, the, the the real fall of Chandler's grace when he started drinking again while working is a fascinating story. But it's just facile to pretend that he was secretly drinking while working with Billy Wilder. Billy Wilder did not drive him to drink. Kim, good job. Good job. Another, another podcast. One step closer to 100. You're getting there. All right. I want to thank everyone for listening. I want to encourage you to continue to listen. And last but not least, I want to remind you. You cannot eat the sunshine. You can't eat the sunshine, but you can make a beeline for the best of the coastline. La, 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 la. Skid Row, Solano Canyon, the Doria, and Pico Union, the long-lost neighborhood. Called Hermina between South Pass and Highland Park, Grand Central Park. It is divine. You can't eat the sunshine, but it's a gold mine of fabulous oddities like Bruce Hears, Dairy, Angela Savvy, Bob's Big Boy, in Downey Forest Lawn Cemetery. You can't eat the sunshine, but make a beat.